We are back. We had to take a last minute holiday last week from Scouted Weekly because a round of man flu tore through the camp and myself and Phil were both laying low, which was a shame because we had a packed show lined up, but not to worry uh, as Joe and Steve are back with me this week to talk Manchester United beating Villa, Bayer Leverkusen sealing their title credentials and Girona taking a serious knock to theirs. Plus, Joe makes his handbook history debut against our current runaway leader, Stephen. All that and more coming up. This is Scouted Weekly. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Curran. It's Monday, the 12th of February, and the winter sun is blazing in London. It's so hot this morning. My phone told me when I woke up it was six degrees Celsius, which is a number I hope those in East London are particularly enjoying come on you hammers if my first co-host this morning was exposed to six degrees celsius he would literally die uh that's live from melbourne steve ganavis how are you mate good very warm here i I think uh 36 here so uh can't uh can't feel your pain at the moment and yet still wearing two layers you uh strange strange man because i'm not scared Clearly. Uh, also with me today, it's Jet Setting, award-winning podcast host, who's been described by as many adoring fans as a man with his eyes painted on. It's Joseph Donahue. How are you, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Thank you for that. That's a very apt and uh, accurate introduction. Um, yeah, beautiful, bright sunshine. What's not to like? It is. I would ask you where you are, but you are two roads over from me. So, um... Indeed, indeed I am. Boys, let's go straight into the stuff from this week's round of football. Um, I want to start with the game that happened last night. Manchester United won again. Uh, They've done it again without looking particularly good. Um, They keep winning. How are they doing it? They never look in control or like they know exactly what they're doing. Stephen pointed at me. I actually pointed at Joe to jump in first, but uh, it's really difficult to tell on a two D screen. Joseph, that's that's fine. I'll I'll happily jump in. Um, I think it's perhaps got more to do with um, Villa maybe hitting a difficult patch. They just haven't really seemed. They've seemed a little bit off color, haven't they? Past couple of weeks, um, lost against Newcastle. Um, who else did they lose against or struggle against? Um, they lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup, didn't they? So again, mm-hmm. two results that you probably wouldn't have anticipated given their start to um, to the season or the first half or two thirds. Uh, and yeah, last night really letting leaving the back door open for Man United to to sneak back into fifth place. So um, yeah, I think they're maybe hitting a bit of a bad patch. But yeah, fair play, Man United. Hoyland starting to come good. Um, Kobe Menu is you know playing fantastically well for an eighteen year old. Um, Again, not a surprise to anyone who watched him at youth level, but um, yeah, he's doing the business. And Scott McTominay, the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but wasn't he the top scorer in uh, European Championships qualifying or there or thereabouts? Just knows where the goal is, that boy. Elite super sub. But just to jump in on, on, on uh, United, I think everything, like every game is kind of situational for them. And... Games can play out very differently just depending on game state. Um, they never quite look convincing. I, I, I watched a couple of games 
uh, doing a profile that's coming up on on Kobe Mainu on the on the notebook, and especially that game against Wolves, like they're really in control for lots of lots of the game, but they could never really maintain it for for ninety minutes. Uh, and then when they do drop off, they look really really gettable. So there's just like bits and pieces, like they start to bring things together here and there, as you said, Joe uh, Hoyland starting to to find some form and i think that's a a very important piece of the puzzle in terms of the the way they play and the transition ball they like to play but you just kind of never know what you're going to get on a weekly basis and it's all like matchups based and and game state based and just when you compare it to the other teams at the top of the premier league that want to control the game like arsenal like like city even to an extent like liverpool uh, you know, I just don't have that in their locker. And, and, and because of that, I guess they just struggle to deliver the consistent results week on week. Yeah, you, you look at the the top seven, I think six of those teams have scored 50 or more goals this season. And then the the one team in the top seven who hasn't scored 50 or more goals is Man United because they've got 33. Um, yeah, I mean, defensively, they're better than Spurs, um, better than Newcastle in terms of goals conceded. But yeah, it, I, I agree with what Steve's saying. It just seems very situational and not not the type, not not a team which can you know go on a run of you know five, six, seven games unbeaten whilst looking quite convincing. Because that Wolves game could have gone very, very differently. Um, the Villa game again could have gone differently if you get a different kind of Aston Villa. Um, yeah, West Ham. I mean, they're hitting a poor patch of them uh, of, of their own, and also. Man United at Old Trafford are a difficult, uh, different entity altogether. Nelly put me off there, Tom, because I could just see you kind of just giggling and nodding your head as I mentioned. The, the, the sheer mention of West Ham has got you just grinning giddily from ear to ear. It just brings me joy. It just brings me joy. Sorry, I don't mean to pop your bubble. <laughs> um, their goal difference is zero, by the way, Manchester United, which uh, I find quite amusing. Let's talk a bit about um, Kobe Miney then, because we wanted to talk about him last week um, when he won the Wolves game in the dying seconds with a ridiculous goal. Um, he did a similar similar kind of shimmy um, to set up the cross for McTominay's goal uh, this week. Um, Steve... You're writing about him. What does he bring to a Manchester United side that, from my eyes, kind of has really struggled to progress the ball through the middle this season? Yeah, I think I think he brings two things. Um, firstly, he's not a big guy, but he really applies himself well physically. Um, lots of like early body contact to like assert a position of dominance in a duel, um, and I think once coming into a senior team once you can like establish establish yourself like that and prove that you're no in no way a defensive liability then you can really start to assert other pieces of your game and i think over the last couple of weeks he's starting to do that a bit more um i still think and as if, if you read my profile it's going to come I, I talk about this quite a lot maybe that the united don't quite or haven't quite explored the full totality of what he could potentially bring to the to the table yet he plays in a very set double pivot with with Casemiro and you know everything United runs through Bruno Fernandes so we haven't seen you know the, the full extent of what he can do but what, what we've seen so far is looking the goods already so if he can add some some layers on top of that um, some of his working close is really really exciting the goal he scored against Wolves is probably the best example of that just weaving his way through and then a, a delightful finish to to cap it off so I think you know he's bringing the fundamentals 
just to like to be there and to to give himself the opportunity to be trusted and to start um, and then everything that he's going to add on top uh, we'll see from here but uh, hopefully for United fans there's a bit more to come this is a subject I think we could do a whole podcast on but I want to touch on it briefly um Manchester United have a strange kind of um pathway set up for young players where they always seem to have you know young academy graduates in and around the first team um but they also have the kind of galactico transfer policy where they bring in these huge stars for kind of marketing purposes it seems um they're in a transitional stage now with um Ineos coming in um new kind of leadership on the football side how do we see them marrying kind of a new what we assume is going to be a new transfer policy with what is clearly a very strong academy pathway i'll jump in um i think i think everything's really up in the air for english clubs at the moment just because of the inability to sign under 18s from europe it's hard to build like the superstar academies that kind of english clubs were trying to build a few years ago before brexit um so you've got these massive arms race now for for local products going on between the bigger clubs, you know, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, etc. So where United fit within that, well, I guess the feeder clubs give you the opportunity to try and sign European players uh, and keep them at those clubs before moving them on to Man United. So for example, uh, one of the Ineos Link clubs, Lausanne, just signed Simone Pafundi from Udinese on a loan with option to buy. And it's a outrageous fee that a, a Swiss club of their stature could could never afford. But as being part of the network, if he if he comes good and they want to sign him, I'm sure that they can funnel the money around and make it work, either getting him to Nice or getting him to Man United, whatever it is. So I think the, the multi-club model in that sense uh, – gives you a bit more variety of what you can achieve and it doesn't just have to be through your academy but it can be through networking out that way so i think you're going to start seeing more and more of that kind of thing and especially the other thing is not bringing them to man united first means that you don't have all the issues with all the different loan rules that there are now in terms of caps on loans abroad and within the premier league etc etc so um i think that's the path that united will continue to explore as the the domestic market continues to get more difficult but obviously when a player like Manu comes up um, there are still pathways there UEFA Youth League that United will probably be competing in in most most uh, most seasons FA Youth Cup all that kind of stuff so you know, it's kind of like either it's mirroring up a traditional pathway for English players with the potential to to have a pathway for international players through Europe to come through the multi-club network I guess I guess the final thing I want to say about Man United is some flowers for Andre Nana, who we spoke about the other week, but he was genuinely very good again today. I think he's been very good for a while now. Um, obviously had a brief <laughs> hiatus <laughs> away to the AFCON. Um, yeah, any flowers for Nana? Anything else to say about him that we didn't say last week? Because I don't think they would have won this game with a lesser shot stopper. I guess it's just kind of the the reversion to the mean. Like he's a bit, much better player than he showed in the first half of the season. I think people would be foolish to have to written him off after after that. So it's no surprise that eventually things would start to to come good because he is a, he's still a top 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 level 
shot stopper. Even if he can be prone to the a bozo moment every now and then, he's still a top class shot stopper. So eventually, it was all gonna start coming good. So I think occasionally prone to a bozo moment should be a, a prerequisite for anyone signing for Manchester United. Um, let's see, leave England behind, boys, and for the moment, and head over to the continent. Um, we've spoken for a few weeks that we want to dive into Bayer Leverkusen. Um, this is not going to be the kind of deep dive that we uh, want to do eventually, but um, we have to speak about them because they beat Bayern Munich 3-0, and it looks like the title is on. Five points clear, I think. Um, and more than just the points on the board, I thought they bossed Bayern Munich about. Looked very comfortable. Um, how are they doing it, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Bossed is probably the, the correct term. Um, everything but possession, they were pretty much better than. And, and that was probably because they were very content to let Bayern have the ball. I think they only allowed one shot on goal in the entire game. Um, and it was very clear to see why they're unbeaten this season. Like all comps, they're just, yeah, absolutely thriving. Um, they're really, really efficient. Uh, and I think even, even with, even without the likes of you know Victor Boniface, who's obviously out at the moment injured, um, even without the likes of Odilon Kasunu at the back or Ezekiel Palacios in the middle, they are still functioning really well. Um, which obviously indicates that they've got a very good structure. That the squad is is very aligned, uh, and they've got good profiles to come in when those um, when those players are, are, are out injured. Um, and I and I do like a bit of the sort of the a, a mixture of sort of like creative recruitment and p- positional flexibility. Like you know, bringing in um, Alex Grimaldo this season from Benfica. You know, him coming in to play on the left wing as opposed to being a left back as he has been throughout his entire career. Um, that's, you know, really good um, plug and play scouting. I think that, you know, we've identified these attributes that make, could make him very, very good in a different position. It's the ball um, striking just to come in. It is the ball striking. He's like straight away, like every single time I haven't watched a huge amount of Leverkusen, but I see a fair few highlights just every single time Grimaldo, like one, two inside and just bang. And he, his left foot is dynamite always has been. And so you kind of like that's the like the excellence as a coach is like identifying certain strengths and then how can we get this guy he can kick the ball so hard how do we get him into positions where he can shoot on goal as many times as possible in a game even from an unconventional position and like the, the goal that he scored the second goal even though Bayern's defense was all over the place like inside run straight through they didn't track the run and then he's the finish is like you know nine times out of ten for him from that position yeah, I completely agree. I think that's that's pretty much spawn. Um I like I like the fact that they've in terms of the creative recruitment, you you don't see many transfers of like players going from the championship in England to the Bundesliga and potentially going on to be a, a title winner. But you know, Nathan Teller, again, someone who's been really effective uh, this season for them. Um got a brace against Darmstadt the other week, um, scored against Leipzig, you know, he's contributing in big moments in big games. Um, and yeah, as I say, you know, with players like Boniface being out, you would have maybe assumed that that's the point where they'll drop off and buy and then make up the ground. But now nah, they were they were on it um, on what was it Saturday? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, fair play to them. Flowers for Xabi Alonso. I thought with the amount of chances 
Amin Adli missed um, that were kind of Victor Boniface-esque chances. I thought they might have won five nil if he was around. Um, Bayern were Bayern were having like the the other end of this is that Bayern looked terrible, and you yes, think of like a, a Tuchel that. back three is normally like set structured, not too many mistakes. Upamecano, I saw some extended highlights. He looked like he had an absolute nightmare of a game. Um, there was like one goal that was basically 95% his fault. There was another chance that was a really good one, basically created when he kicked the ball up in the air and gave it away. Um, and then Kim and Jay for that second goal that I was talking about for, for Grimaldo, he kind of tucks in to follow the where the pass is going and then points to Alexander Pavlovich to follow the run when Pavlovich is like, Two three meters behind Grimaldo, and he's never going to get, never going to be able to follow the run, and so it just vacates this massive space that they go straight into and score. So it's just strange to see, you know, Tuchel's never been known for his thriving, dynamic football, but to see the them broken apart that easily um, is quite astonishing, I guess. And it's not the first game; like, it's not just playing against good teams. I watched them against Augsburg last week; they were equally like just. An, Absolutely nowhere defensively. Just so it's just bizarre to see them unravel like this because you just think of Bayern as this juggernaut in the Bundesliga. And I guess after the the torture that Dortmund put us through last year, there is the possibility that they could still turn it around and come back and win the title. But uh, so I don't want to make any bold predictions yet. But they are in a bit of a rut at the moment, and uh, yeah, they'll need to get out of it quickly because they probably can't really afford to slip up again. I would have thought. I mean, I I look at that that back three and then you factor in as well you've got Sasha Bowie who's pretty new and you've also got Alexander Pavlovich who you know in isolation has been been pretty decent but again is still relatively new to the to the first team scene um certainly in a starting sense and I look at that and I think okay well Eric Dyer, I mean m- maybe it's a communication breakdown because he's doing that accent the entire time um but like the <laughs> the um <laughs> Stop laughing, you two. Uh, I'm being serious. I'm making a very serious football point, um, but oh. it, it just seems as though that they're, they're not, they don't, they're not playing as a team that are, that are very familiar with each other's games. Um, and yes, you could put that down to maybe they just need a transition period to actually understand each other. But I don't know. I just it feels very feels very higgledy piggledy. Do you think Harry Kane is doing an accent yet? I haven't. I haven't uh, researched this, but do you think he's... I think he's the least enough? likely man to be doing an accent in Germany. They they saw Gareth yeah, Bale Spanish and they decided neither of them would try to, to learn German, I guess. The thing that I don't get, right, is Eric Dyer obviously grew up in Portugal. So like, why does he need to do the, like, put on English accent? You know, I the, think to be fair to him, thing. I think I've seen, um, you know, polyglot people talk about adopting... At, regional accents quite um almost by accident so i think you know i can barely speak english as i'm uh stuttering over my words right now but um so i can't really it's funny okay it's funny but it also might be something i don't understand something else that was funny i ha- i, ha- I want to bring this up um the bundesliga obviously does tactical cams um for us watching in the UK where they pull very far out and you can see almost all of the pitch really cool um, and Jeremy Frimpong scored in the last 30 seconds um, and in the wide camera I couldn't see Manuel Neuer 
I didn't know where he was. And so I had to roll back and find out what had happened. Uh, obviously, he went up for a corner and then fell over. <laughs> I don't even know if he got back up and started running back, but he was not on in the frame at all when uh, Frimpong took his shot, um, which I think is a perfect summation of um, when, when what's Frimpong, happening under Tuchel at the moment. When Frimpong gets the wheels going, I'd give up as well. Yeah, that's fair, especially if you're th- in your mid-30s or whatever. Um, a little bit on Xabi Alonso. Um, obviously, we talk about young players and how to best manage their pathways and stuff. Um, but young coaches, I think, is something we don't talk about that much, uh, that often. Um, how do you manage kind of the hype that's growing around him at the moment? Because this is his first major role and it's going almost impossibly well. Um, links to very big clubs across Europe. Um, they look like they're going to pro- pro- probably win the Bundesliga this year. Um, how do you keep a lid on this and make sure that he makes the, the next step appropriately? I think he's been around long enough. He'll uh, he's he's played some pretty big games, dealt some pretty big occasions. I'm sure that this is probably a fair bit less pressure than uh, than his playing days. So I don't know. The, the the clubs will line up, and he has to just decide for himself at whatever point arrives whether he stays at Leverkusen or he thinks he's ready to to move on to to something bigger. But I'm sure he's a smart cookie. He'll know. But his team, I think the the flexibility that he he plays with. Um, with the way that he lines the team up, I think holds him in good stead for whatever kind of job he, he picks up, whether it's more of a, a team that expects to play the more swarm counter-attacking style like Liverpool or or another club that's looking for a more control possession style. I think he seems quite flexible in the way that he can play. If I had to give one piece of advice to Xabi Alonso, and I know that he will be listening and taking the advice of a football journalist from England, um, don't be the guy after the guy. If, if, if I had to say that, you know, Jurgen Klopp leaving at the end of the season, look what's happened with David Moyes at, at Man United. Look what happened with Unai Emery at Arsenal. Don't be the guy that follows the guy. You know, wait, let that let that someone else take the poison chalice and be directly compared to the successful predecessor. Um, I honestly, I don't hate Xabi Alonso staying at Leverkusen and actually, you know, disrupting the the Bayern hegemony that that's kind of ruled over German football for for years. Um, let's see how let's see how far they can go. Like in in the Champions League next season, how what Leverkusen can do. Let's let's see what they've got. And I don't see like their team really getting broken up over the summer either, unless someone comes in like big time for Vietz or something like that. But I could see them keeping most of the most of the team intact, and they're all they're all young guys, so they're all just going to keep getting better, really. So something to work with in the Champions League and uh, and beyond. All right, from one unlikely title charge to another going slightly worse. Um, Girona were battered by uh, Real Madrid at the weekend. Um, the famous front three of Rodrigo, Vinny Jr. and Bellingham was pumping on all cylinders. Um, a couple of outrageous goals. Vinny Jr.'s opener was disgusting. Uh, Joe, you went pretty deep on Girona a few weeks ago on your show. Um is a dream dead? Uh, I think that, I mean, on that show, on that episode of the, the Scouted Pod, um, 
I think myself and, and Ruri Barlow from from Football España, um, we kind of said it's unlikely that they're going to hang on and push Real Madrid all the way simply because they don't have the squad depth and the star quality that, that Real Madrid have. But it's still very likely that they'll still qualify for, for European football, um, potentially the Champions League um, for the first time in their history. I think the dream, the dream was always extremely unlikely. But yeah, I mean, 4-0 uh, against Real Madrid is is pretty, pretty, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, I, I, for some reason, I've got the word condemning in my head, but it's not, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, deflating. deflating. Yes, Ooh, it is that. Both at the same time. It is deflating. All right, well done, you two. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Jude Bellingham keeps on scoring. Let's hope that that ankle injury that he picked up isn't too serious uh, for several reasons. Um, Vinny Jr. obviously is is being Vinny Jr. Uh, and I think one of the key things as well with this Real Madrid team is just how available all of their key players are at the moment. You know, what you want going into the final stretch of the season, especially when you're going head-to-head with a team that have not been in this position before, kind of don't know the the pressures and the the pitfalls, is you've you've got to have pretty much all your key players available. Now, I know I've said that and... Um, Jude Bellingham's injured but they have I believe he's called Josselu uh, in reserve so I think he could maybe come in um, right of him obviously a St James's Park favourite uh, <laughs> back in the day um, still cracking may, may have had a song about him. just on but Bellingham though just on Bellingham like the guy's borderline just playing as a striker and just come in you would have thought maybe Romadrid after Benzema's gone it's like oh you know who's going to score the goals like Vinny's Amazing play, but he's never been a massive volume scorer. And you just get this guy coming in and just the runs that he makes from like attacking midfield. That the, the first goal that he scored just stormed through, and no one could get anywhere near him. It's like this guy's just got something different. So hopefully, uh, he can keep his body held up. Obviously, he always has that knee strapped, which is a bit of a concern. But the guy is an athletic freak. Um, and then obviously pairs it with amazing penalty box quality that maybe we didn't quite understand before this season, but it's obviously there. Um, you know, what are we talking now? Six, 16, 17, you guys will be counting league goals this season. 16. And it's February. Yes. For reasons we won't disclose, Joe and I are sending all of our love and prayers and good energy to Spain right now. Um, I you would know, give my ankles for... <laughs> Jude's uh, in a heartbeat. Not that he'd want mine. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be able to make those runs in behind with these. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about a nominal attacking midfielder or playing off the striker that's about to bag 20 plus in the league. So I think that kind of says all that needs to be said about the, the season he's having and the impact that he's had on, on this Real Madrid team. And it'll be interesting to see for this couple of weeks that he might be absent. Um, how they shuffle things around to make it work because clearly he is absolutely vital to the way they attack. Yes, and my blood pressure currently. Can I just make a quick point about Spain for a second? Of Um, course you can. Las Palmas this season, they've got the second best defensive record in La Liga. 20 goals conceded in 24 games. Um, They're a real outside shot for uh, getting European football this season. Um, with your and boy Maximum having, Peroni in there. 
Yeah, Maximo Peroni sounding like your dad ordering, ordering, trying to order a beer on holiday. Um, yeah, beat Valencia uh, in the last last game. Um, Mika Marmol doing all right in that defense there. Um, yeah, I just just thought I'd just drop that in. Little, and they gave Real Madrid a, they gave Real Madrid a good go a couple of weeks ago as well. Anyway, Thomas, you're free to Great. move us on. Thank you very much. Um, I will move us on. Oh, we're coming back to England because there's a game of football tonight um, and it's happening in London and it is a game I want to crown with a an, ex, an expletive, but I don't think I'm allowed. So we'll call it Battle of the Really Bad Teams. Uh, it's Chelsea versus Crystal Palace. Stephen, you wanted to talk about this because you get very excited anytime uh, you get the chance to talk about Chelsea because uh, they're really funny. Um, just start with a big question. If Palace somehow win this, could Pochettino go? I actually think yes. Um, because Palace are probably in the worst three teams in the league at the moment. And that might be being charitable given their run of form lately. Roy Hodgson is basically on the brink as well. There could be a chance that whoever loses this game, if there is a loser, the coach could be sacked. Um, Chelsea, like that game last week was a mess. And then, you know, I didn't watch the the FA Cup match during the week, but um, they just sometimes look like they're putting it together, but then they just revert back to to the mean. And it seems like the good results are more of a aberration rather than the bad results. I think when you're in that rut, um, you know, players just start to lose. And like all the stuff that was coming out in the press about what the players were thinking, that you know, they're not training hard or they don't believe in, in Poch to coach them. I was like, it's the, the early seeds of discontent and it's really hard once all that stuff's out there for it all to be wound back. Um, so I think it's going to take like a really, really good run of form for, for Poch to survive this season. But I think a game like tonight, like they just have to win. And if they don't, I could yeah definitely see them getting close to pulling the trigger, if not if not doing it. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Palace are without uh, Michael Elise, who's unfortunately injured again, without Eze as well. So they're undermanned, not just in terrible form. So if there's a game that's absolutely set up for Chelsea to just finally get three points on the board and, and get back to winning ways, it's this one. So if it all goes wrong, then there could be drastic measures taken. Joe, how do you see this one going? Uh, I think James Tompkins is going to be having a very somber coffee uh, in midweek. <laughs> your your famous coffee spot. Um, Our yeah, famous spot, my friend. I, I see it going very similar to Steve. I think you can't really look past the Chelsea win just because they do have that quality. I think coming off the back of the FA Cup win as well, um, they did look better in better um, form in that. But again, how much how much stock can you place in cup? performance to and then translating over to the league I don't know I like I I think what the Palace hierarchy really want is they want Roy Hodgson to pick up some results pretty soon so that they can keep him in situ until the end of the season and they're fine they don't get relegated and then they can bring in a younger more forward-thinking coach someone who's maybe got a decent track record in the EFL for example and yeah I just don't think they'll get that 
I don't don't think they'll they'll be allowed that privilege to to wait. I I, I can't. I think they are being sucked into a relegation battle. They are without their two best players, one of them for an extended period, um, and I really can't see themselves getting them out of this. Re- really can't see them getting themselves out of this rut. Um, but you know, stranger things have happened. Um, but I think that the mood around Palace's fan base at the moment is is you know funereal because it's just you know we're we're we're, we're sat there where we're stagnating. We're not progressing on the pitch. We're not progressing off the pitch. It's kind of a stay of execution for for Roy Hodgson, and they're just yeah they're just hoping to get to the end of the season and everything will be fine. I think Chelsea should should certainly have enough. Should be in the operative word, um, but yeah, you never know. Sometimes, boys, football analysis is really easy, um, and I think Palace make it easy when Olise and Eze are together. They score screamers and they win some football games and then when they are not together they do nothing um, it's a star power league it is a star power league at the end of the day indeed uh palace only five clear from the drop um major alarm bells i think at the start of the season you know i think everyone was pretty clear that there was a considerable gap in quality between well it was luton and and sheffield united and the rest of the league and that has not uh, proven to be true. And then you've got teams like Palace that look in serious danger of being sucked into it. Um, <laughs> this time last year, we were also talking about Chelsea being sucked into it, um, which was really amusing. And then we did our Premier League predictions at the start of the year and everyone laughed at Steve for saying they'd be just as bad again this year. Stephen, you've been very much validated because uh, they're still bottom half. Um, how do you feel? Take a victory lap. Um, I won't take any victory laps, but I guess it's... Well, just... the entirety of Australia. <laughs> I actually have a friend who's running around the whole entirety of Australia, but anyhow, it's a different story. Um, the whole idea of turning over your entire team, I think it's kind of just been proven that it's a very, very difficult thing to do, especially when you're filling the team with guys without much Premier League or senior experience and we you know I think we talked about it I believe a couple of weeks ago um, they got a guy, a guys that were had played like six months 12 months of really good senior level football they probably need more of like a 24 month track record to be going out and spending the kind of fees that they were spending on like the Madwekes of the world the Mudricks of the world um, so I guess there's not too much to say. It's just at this point, they got to start putting the results together or this whole thing is going to kind of blow up really quickly and they're going to be in a spot of bother in terms of financial fair play and all that kind of thing with trying to rebuild a squad and make it competitive. Like you just think they like farmed off players like Jorginho, who's now playing really, really important minutes at Arsenal, even if they aren't massive minutes. Like you can't tell me that he wouldn't have been a valuable player to have had knocking around this season at Chelsea just to just to do a job every now and then when the team needs some sort of stability, and instead they've you know banked things on a lot of new players that they hadn't seen a lot of before that they had arrived at the club, um, and had you know got rid of a lot of proven performers that maybe you wanted to move on from, but you probably needed to try and do it in a more staggered approach just to guarantee yourself a certain level of results as you turned over the team into that younger 
youthful team for the future that they were looking to build. Let's uh, leave tonight behind. I look forward to that game uh, very much. Um, something else that happened this weekend was the African Cup of Nations final. And uh, keen-eared viewers may have noticed we haven't spoken much about that, uh, the tournament on this podcast. That's because, Joe, you've got a more detailed uh, show coming up before the end of the month, um, re- recapping the tournament, picking out some standout players, as you do. Um, but you wanted to talk a little bit about the final and, in particular, Simon Adingra's performance across the tournament. Yeah, um, I thought that it deserves, I mean, it's a big tournament in itself, you know, a huge continent um, and, you know, some of our favourite players are there. So deserves um, deserves a full full episode on the Scouted Pod, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, Simon Odingra, obviously of Brighton, formerly of USG in Belgium on loan, club that obviously I'm very fond of considering what, what we did over there last summer. Um, and yeah, he got both assists in the final Um coming from behind against Nigeria. And yeah, the the story is, of course, the Seb Haller, you know, battling and beating cancer to then 18 months later, come and score the the winner for Ivory Coast in the the, the AFCON final in Ivory Coast um, is, is a real nice story. Um, lots of interesting players at that tournament. Um, lots of names that, I don't know, some people might have forgotten about in European football, but... Uh, very much alive and kicking and and doing well on at, at, at a tournament like this um so yeah we'll have something uh before the end of the month on the scouted pod um got something on belgium coming this week um so stick around for that but um yeah the an afcon roundup will be will be coming to your, your podcasting apps and i'm sure there'll be a healthy um section on on a dingra because he was he was electric i mean Great, great cross for that for that winner for for Seb Aller. and great finish actually as well. Um, a former scouted favourite back in his Eintracht days um, before he went to West Ham, and the entirety of the English media decided that he was a donkey. Um, turns out he's not. Uh, so, yeah, yeah that happens will be, uh, quite often. Covering. Excellent. So, if you haven't been put off by um, particularly West Ham fans, me laughing at you, please stay subscribed. And listen to Joe's show, um, because it's far more insightful than I could ever hope to muster. Um, another international final um, happened recently. Stephen, you wanted to talk very briefly on the Asian Cup. Yeah, I think it shows that Qatar are a lot more serious than people got the impression of during the World Cup. Obviously, World Cup 2022, they prepared for the tournament by basically pulling their players out of their club sides and basically having them in a training camp for six months, playing no competitive matches. And uh, I think that uh, that approach was proven to be a monumental failure, but they've gone back to back now in, in two Asian Cups, playing you know some, some good uh, counter-attacking football. I guess the AFC is pretty much the confederation of the sit-back counter-attacking side. But when you've got a player like Akram Afif, who I honestly think now has to go down as one of the best players that that the AFC has ever produced. Um, And I don't say that lightly, but unfortunately, he's probably never going to, to, you know, play big-time European football. But I think that he's a player that could easily play at a really, really good Champions League level. Um, Followed up 2019 Asian Cup, having a goal and 10 assists, 
this Asian Cup, he had, I think it was eight or nine goals, three penalties in the final, but he won two of them himself. Just the just the dominant player of the tournament um, by by country mile. Um, so, yeah, if you got the, a bad impression of the Qatari national team uh, in 2022, they'll be back in, in 2026 and they will be a very, very competent uh, competent team around Akram Afif, Al Haidos, who's played 185 caps, I saw at the age of 33, um, which I think is absolutely astonishing. I think Afif is 28 and has a, almost 120 caps as well. So I got a, a really solid team that's been, you know, I think most of the the, the national team plays at Al Sad at the same club. Um, so I think, yeah, they're 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 a nation to to follow. Um, obviously. The, the the pedigree is interesting. The the Aspire Academy setup is interesting. Um, there's a little bit about it that that's gone into it over the last decade or so to to turn these results into into what they are. And you know, people can can discount the Asian Cup, but it's still a very competitive competition. And Qatar to go through Japan and go through Iran to to win the tournament and played a really tough. Uh, Jordan team in the final with uh, Musal Tamari up front, who's been uh, having a really great season with Montpellier as well. So, uh, yeah, Asian Cup roundup, Qatar back to back, and uh, we move forward to, to World Cup qualifying. Excellent. And we will move forward to our watch list for this week. It's going to be a shorter segment uh, because there's so much happened um, over the weekend. Um, but I thought as we had Mr. Joseph Donahue here, we should take advantage of his expertise and talk about uh, Leeds United a little bit. Joe, there's a ton of uh, young players um, making some noise in the championship this season. Um, but I think Leeds in particular have a couple of strong names. Um, who's really stood out in the past uh, half a season and made a name for themselves? Yeah, I mean, the, the one standout for me, um, I mean, it's difficult to narrow it down to one, but in terms of output, it's got to be Crescencio Somerville. Um, 14 goals, seven assists in the league this season. Um, came on in the fourth round replay in the FA Cup against Plymouth and changed the game um, just with his great technique, great, great technically on the ball, uh, works back off it. Uh, and just he's, he's one of those players where he's going down, he's going through on goal. He's bearing down on the goalkeeper. He's battling off challenges, and you just you put your house on him scoring. He did that at the weekend um, against Rotherham. Again, a, a very poor Rotherham side, um, marooned at the bottom of the table. But he's doing it regularly. He's doing it. I mean, week in, week out. Uh, I think there's only three players with more goals than him this season. Um, all of whom you'd say probably play more as a uh, more through the middle, whereas Somerville t- tends to play off the left. Um, or he can play on the right where he began his career. Um, and, you know, still 22 years old, huge, huge potential for him. Um, and, yeah, fans at Ellen Road are absolutely loving him at the moment. Um, Jorginho Ruter is is kind of, he's just, he's got great golden retriever energy, um, but he's also excellent at, at keeping possession. Um, just sometimes it just doesn't look fair that he's com- competing in the championship against, you know, EFL journeymen. And he's just very much having... The time of it himself. I think he he went to ten assists in the league uh, the weekend, um, seven of which have been for Somerville. Um, I think that was actually across all competitions, so it might just be six in the league. But again, there's I think uh, it was our friends, not the top twenty, 
uh, they replied to me saying that only Jody Jones and Dan Crowley as an assist to score a combination is the only one that runs them close in English football at the moment. Um, so yeah, Jorginho and, and, and Somerville are doing business uh, in attack. And then at the back for Leeds, Archie Gray just keeps going from strength to strength. Um, began the season as a central midfielder, um, can play as an eight, can play as a as a, a little bit of a deeper player, but certainly is best as an eight. And then has come in at right back, um, has seen off the challenge of of Jed Spence and, and, and Luke Ayling, both of whom have left the club. Um, Connor Roberts has been brought in from Burnley on loan, um, but Archie's staying in the team and you wouldn't say that you'd change that anytime soon, despite the fact that it does. it's not until next month that he turns 18. So he's doing really well. Um, he's, he's very level-headed, very, very good at escaping pressure, technically spot on, positioning-wise, again, playing like someone who has played right back his entire career rather than um, in the last three, four months. So yeah, plenty to, plenty to like about what Leeds are doing at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to make for a very, very interesting end to the season, I think, in the Championship because, you know, Leicester have been rampant and they don't look like they're going to let up anytime soon. Southampton are on some daft 20-odd game unbeaten run. Um, and yeah, Leeds are, Leeds are nine unbeaten in all competitions since the turn of the year. So it's really, really looking uh, interesting, hotting up and... If anyone wasn't aware, the final game of the season is uh, between second place Southampton and Leeds at Elland Road. So that'll be uh, potentially uh, a, a regular season playoff f- to see who goes up automatically. So, um, yeah, that's that's my watch list. And I am going to be watching them twice this week, uh, away at Swansea and then away at Plymouth. Um, because you I get paid to, to do it. <laughs> because I have to tell everyone that I'm doing lots of miles. <laughs> Yes, um, yeah. I think you should uh, you should certainly get some sort of compensation for having to go to Plymouth twice. Um, oh, there's more people I've pissed off this week. Um, okay, okay, okay. Let's uh, move on to talk very briefly about what's coming up on Notebook this week. Uh, I actually want to just make a note. Um, last week, I published my monthly technical area blog, and that's the piece where I go through each month um, kind of behind the scenes about what's going on as we try to build an independent media company. Um, I talked a lot about the industry this month. Um, Some really big things happened to some very major publications that were, I think, indicative of kind of the state of the industry. Um, And I just took a look at where we are and uh, what we're going to try and do this year. so that's free to read currently, but it will be going behind a paywall uh, in the future. So if you'd like to learn a bit more about what we do and how we think about things, um, go and read that. Um, and then subscribe so you, you can uh, help us get to where we need to go. Um, Stephen, you've got um, a couple of things coming up this week. We, talk, we spoke about Kobe Mainu, um, that you, who you've gone deep on, but you've also written a, um, a story on Juve's next gen um system so do you want to talk very briefly about that yeah too much um, yeah i've got a few things coming up uh yes yeah, events next gen uh yeah 10 or so years ago uh actually less around 2018 uh Juventus brought in their under 23 side into the fourth tier of italian football 
since been promoted to the third tier and it's all centered around the project which is called Juventus Next Gen where the club is now basically I see rumors every week of them linked to basically like a million young players from under 17 euros South America some that I've watched some that I haven't uh, in in January uh, they announced a big signing from uh, Boca Juniors, uh, Francisco Barrido, if I've remembered his name correctly, uh, in a similar deal to the one that uh, saw them bring Matias Soule over from Vélez Sarsfield uh, before turning 18 with European citizenships and the way that they can uh, get that to work. Um, so yeah, the club has just been going crazy over the last five years or so. And they're starting to see the the fruits of their of their labor with players like Samuel Ling Jr., who came over from Chelsea, coming into the the starting eleven. Kenan Yildiz, who came from Bayern. Uh, some homegrown products like Hans Nuk- and Nicolucci Caviglia, Fabio Miretti, Nicola Fagioli. Um, so uh, Dean Hoyson as well, who came from Malaga uh, a couple of years ago. So there's been a huge shift in policy from a team that really n- neglected the the academy. It has kind of shown that in a four or five year stretch, you can go from a barren wasteland of academy into turning your 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 club into one of the top talent producers in in the whole of Europe. Um, so there's there's plenty more in the in the next gen at the moment in the Primavera that are coming through out on loan, obviously with uh, Sule Baranechea and Caio Giorgi at Frosinone this season. So yeah, it's just a big deep dive into what they're doing, the philosophy around scouting, where they're looking. Um, you know, what kind of regions they're targeting. Um, so, yeah, interesting deep dive into that. And I think it uh, bodes well for the club in the future, not just in terms of uh, the first team, but in terms of also righting some of the wrongs that the club have made in terms of financial missteps uh, that have happened over the last five years or so. So uh, it's going to be a key pillar for Juventus going into the future. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in how an academy works, how academy is built up, uh, and the the talent pipeline that Juventus have going with the the team in the the third division with the Primavera with the loan system, then uh, yeah, it's worth having a read. And then I'm also aiming to have a profile on Lamina Mal for the Scouted Fifty later in the week as well. So it's the it's another Stephen week. Ooh, it's an embarrassment of riches on Scouted Notebook if you're into uh, Australians. Um. Beautiful. Well, stay subscribed to Notebook for that and stay listening to the podcast for this. Boys, it's the best part of everyone's week. It's Handbook History. And I believe this is, is this Joseph Donahue's Handbook History debut? Have I got that right? It is. It is. How do you feel, mate? Are you excited? Nervous, um, terrified, alone. And that was before you mentioned that we were doing Handbook History. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what's coming up here, to see if it's one of my... Well, actually, if, this would be very cruel. If you picked Johan Cardinal, the niece goalkeeper from, <laughs> I think, Handbook Volume 2, maybe, um, who, I'll be honest, I remember watching him and going, this guy's actually a bit shit, to be honest. Um, but at that time, I was just like, you know what? They must see things that I don't. Um, so we'll blame that one on Lou. Yeah, hopefully it's not not that one. Where is he playing right now? Actually, uh, he's like the third tier. We looked this up not that long ago because this same topic Ooh. got brought up. Oh, the face you just made, the face of validation. Oh, that is good. He plays for Toulon and not the rugby team. 
So, in fact, it appears as though, as though he doesn't actually play for them. He says he's got zero appearances here. On 24th of August 2022, Cardinal joined SC Toulon on a free transfer after a year without a club. Sorry if, you know, the write-up wasn't good enough, but, you know. You've, you've immediately stamped your mark on Hamburg history by picking out some obscure player and absolutely battering him. Yeah, that's what it's all Incredible about, right? work. Yes. Um, look, boys, last week or two weeks ago, uh, I did an upsie and I gave Stephen and Lou far too easy clues and they got it like that. Okay, so I've had a bit of a, gone back to the drawing board a little bit. It's really hard to find a balance because I don't want to go so obscure that you can't guess anyone. But also, you know, the minute, I mean, you just remembered that some random goalkeeper was in volume two. You know, so I have to be careful. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, here are the rules for it. If anyone's listening and this is their first handbook history experience, boy, you're in for a treat. And this is how it works. Over the past almost decade, we've profiled hundreds of players in the Scout Football Handbook. And I'm going to read out a number of clues to the boys and they have to guess which player from the handbook history I am referencing. This clues, if I've done my job right, they will go from more obscure to less obscure, that didn't happen last week. <laughs> they went from painfully obvious <laughs> to uh, even more obvious. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So I've only done two players because everyone always complains. They're like, oh, do best of three, do best of three. It takes ages to do these clues, all right? So I've done two and you'll be happy about it and no complaining. Right. Are we, are we ready to start? Is everyone I'm leaning forward in my chair. I am so ready. The the eyes of concentration are um, slightly alarming, actually. All right. Round one, clue number one. The writer of this profile claimed that even Champions League clubs would do well to get in on, on him early because when he breaks out, he'll break the bank. Clue two. He scored his first senior international goal in a 2022 World Cup qualifier against Ukraine. They're obscure. I told you they're obscure now. Okay. Oh, oh, this this could be a this could be a spicy one. I wasn't expecting Joe to be here, so here we go. Clue three. He made his professional competitive debut at the age of 17 against Newcastle United. He made his Champions League debut in September 2021 against Juventus. So I've got you both in that one. Wow, yeah. Look at me go. Debut 17 against Newcastle. Yes. That was his professional debut, so it's not like he made his debut in the cup or anything. Uh, well, his cup, a cup is professional. No, as in, like, it was it was in the league. Sorry, that's what I should should have said. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that because I didn't okay. write it down and I've forgotten. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the end of round one. So, um, if anyone's yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a big old blank. Stephen is deep in thought here. I am. 
So he's made his, he made his competitive debut in a game against Chelsea. No. Oh, sorry, a game against Newcastle. Yes. And he's changed to 17. <laughs> and what year was it? You can't you stop thinking about Chelsea, this guy. <laughs> did you say, sorry, did you say what year it was that he made his competitive debut against Newcastle? Uh, I did not. And his Champions League debut was in 2021 against Juventus. Correct. Oh, Remember, you get the maximum amount of oh, points, three is it, points. Is it Jude Bellingham? It is not Jude Bellingham. Mm. How dare you? How thought dare it might you be think like a cup game or in the championship? No, I thought it might be a cup <laughs> game because he didn't he didn't specify. All right, you can have a guess now. I don't think Joe's got a guess. I don't have I don't have a guess. <laughs> oh, good good clues then. Absolutely right, stumped. Thank you. All right, I said. Um, just to be more clear on the rules, if you get it right in round one, you get three points. Round two, you get two. No other. Yes, that way yes. around. Round two is two points. Round three is one point. So the opportunity for three points has disappeared. We can move I on just, can I just two. say who I oh. don't think it is? <laughs> that's, yes, that's the game. That's how you win the game. You name all of the players it's not. <laughs> I don't think it's Bukayo Saka because I think... If this was written by one of the Arsenal boys in Scouted, then it's very unlikely that someone would have said Champions League teams should get in early. Good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> just right. ruling out. You know, people might be listening thinking, just screaming down the microphone, just like, Saka! Saka! No, it's not him. As proven there. I'm going to take that as your guess, and it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, no. Right. We'll move on to round two, guys. And then, Joe, you can rule out hundreds of other players as you see fit, okay? Um, clue one. Friend of Scouted, Ali Maxwell, added this player to his squad on the video game club after reading about him in the handbook. So this is testing your knowledge of social media interactions with our friends. He tweeted at us saying, I've discovered this guy and I'm going to use him in the game. Clue two. Between 2019 and 2022, this player played in four countries in three years, including a return to his boyhood club. Those countries... Um, do I give you the countries? I'll give you the countries. England, Sweden... Denmark and France. Oh, buzz, 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 buzz. Oh, Good. shit. No, I'm wrong. No. Oh, no, no. not Bukai Saka, mate. You've already rolled, <laughs> rolled him out. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, uh, buh, buh. <laughs> I can see him sounding like a dial up motor. Oh, Wait, was it England, Sweden, Denmark, and France? France, yes. England, Sweden. Is that in chronological order? Yes, it is. Tom, why have you just taken a drink out of that massive water bottle like you were playing a, a musical instrument? I'm a thirsty boy. It's thirsty work winding you two up, picking oh. your brains. 
Can't even complain that this is first thing in the morning either. Um, no, we pushed it back just to give you extra time to warm up. <laughs> Made his debut against. <laughs> it's a tricky one. <laughs> it, it is. The, the, the countries have really thrown me off. All right. I, I, there's one more clue in round two. We're not even done yeah, with round go. two. All right, he switched his national team allegiance from Sweden in 2020 and has represented his chosen country 21 times to date. Buzz, 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 buzz in, go, buzz in. Go. Got him. Anel Amidhodzic. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Yes. You took a couple of very strange turns on the way to get there. <laughs> You have crowned your debut moment in Hamburg history with a saucy two points. Well done, my yes. friend. Very well done. Yes, yeah, so uh, his... Lou got that through, so quickly. I know. I'm, that, well, that's why they're so obscure. It's like, uh, I'm just trying to out, outsmart him. Um, so yes, obviously made his competitive debut for Nottingham Forest against Newcastle United, I believe. Um, uh, the his journey was Forest to Malmo to Hobro in Denmark to Bordeaux and then back to England with uh, Sheffield United. Um, obviously switched his national team allegiance from Sweden to Bosnia uh, and Herzegovina. And then round three clues were Scouted Football Handbook Volume 9 with the Skamaka cover. Um, an excerpt, which I thought would make it quite obvious because we speak about this, or at least Lou speaks about this in reference to him quite often. Deficiencies crop up when he defends set pieces where he struggles to track his man, uh, which I think has been proven in the Premier League this season several times. And the final clue is he is a centre-back. Okay, Joseph, well done. Very, you know how, Steve, you know how I was giving you smoke for guessing that it was Jude Bellingham um, earlier, and I was like, how dare you suggest that Newcastle were in the championship? It, it was actually uh, his debut in the championship against Newcastle. And I'll, I'll <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I actually, I, hold on, I want to check if I was at that game. I think I might have been. <sighs> That's you a, should de- deduct at least one point for that, then. Yeah. That's such that's such rubbish. <laughs> Didn't remember. Although, was it a little seventeen? If it was the game I'm thinking of, then it's quite interesting because Newcastle had two players sent off, both of which were then rescinded. Um, you can't Dallas make up with your failures with more obscure knowledge. That's not how it works. It All wasn't right. actually. It was. Um, it was at St James's Park. So yeah. All right. It wasn't the go. game I was thinking of. Let's go, Thomas. Round right. two. Player number two, Steve. A lot of pressure on you, mate. Um, the new kid struggling. on the block. I'm running struggling. You, you through. All right. Round number one. In this profile, the writer misspelled prevalent as pervalent, and it went to print. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we must have a terrible sub editor. Yeah, that's my bad. Um, he also said... Quote, a stocky five foot seven, this player is most effective in sharp bursts. So can I can I buzz in? Yeah. Jefferson Soteldo. Incorrect. Oh, 
Is that all the clues for this round? No, no, no. There's two more. Joe, you might have uh, wanted to keep keep your powder dry there, mate. All right, clue two. Since his senior debut in 2016, he has played for 10 different clubs. 10 clubs in eight years. Quite the journeyman. Clue three. In 2018-2019, he was named in the Eredivisie Team of the Season. So he made at least one stop in the Netherlands on his odyssey through European football. Or other continents I did not specify. It's too early for like Boadu and Steng's era. And they're too tall as well. I'll give you a clue. This might help Joe. It's not I'm the not Kaios- guess, though. <laughs> No, that's true. Uh, um, 10 clubs in eight years debuted in 2016. Oh, wait, no, I'm wrong. No, it doesn't matter. Like, I have an idea, but I think it's wrong. But I'm just going to say, instead of wasting everyone's time sitting around, so I'll go Stanislav Lobotka. Incorrect. Incorrect. We'll move on to round two as, uh, as the, the guess is fired. Clue one, he scored in a win against Manchester United that knocked them out of the Champions League. But then again, who hasn't? <laughs> oh, five foot seven. Mm-hmm. Ten clubs. Correct. I'm just going to look up what those clubs are so I can tell you afterwards. Keep going. Yeah, I'm drawing a bunk here. 2018-19. Have you got more this round? Yes, I've got two more clues this round. Okay, Clue two. In 2019, a club triggered his buyback clause. Oh. Oh, no. That's not right. Okay. Okay, I'll give Wait, you the no, last. Actually, it might be. I think can I, I got can it. Can I guess? Oh no! I, oh, I wanna... oh, you go, who's... you go, you go. You buzz first. Oh, is it Angelino? Jesus Christ! Joe Donahue with a clean sweep on his yes! debut. <laughs> yes. Stephen, what was your guess? Oh, I was actually going to say Justin Clivert. So. Oh, you're wrong. Anyway. Um. Wow. A f- solid four point showing from Joe on his. Well played, well played. First ever appearance. That is extremely impressive. Um, I'll run through the rest of the clues. Uh, his first club was Deportivo La Coruña. Um, he was profiled in Volume 3, which had Lucas Pacatar on the cover. Um, he has been coached by Pep Guardiola, Mark Van Bommel, Julian Nagelsmann, Jesse Marsh. Uh, I've put Pep Guardiola twice, uh, which might be true, actually. One of these is not like the others. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> some uh, lead shade there and uh, very nearly Jose Mourinho I think Mourinho left like three days before he signed uh, for Roma earlier this uh, year um, next clue he has played for three clubs in the City Football Group and final clue he is a left back nominally um, so the clubs the ten clubs he's played for are uh, Manchester extra point, e. extra point if Joe can guess all of the clubs 
or can okay, say, well, I've given him one. I can't do that. <laughs> that's that's beyond it? my powers. Galatasaray? Yep. Leipzig? Yep. City? Yep. Roma? Street? Yep. Uh, uh, hang on. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I said since his debut, so yeah. Is that Girona, Girona as well? PSV yeah. as well. PSV. And you said it was uh, Deportivo La Coruña, was it, that you said was the first one? Um, yes, but he never played for them professionally. And who else is in there? Uh, you're missing a recent one and two obscure early season, okay. early career team. Right. So he went from City to bounce around the City Football Group, went to New York City first, then to Girona, onto Mallorca, and then uh, NAC Breeder. Oh, then true. stayed in the Netherlands with PSV, back to City when they triggered his buyback clause, loaned to Leipzig, Leipzig bought him. Then they started loaning him out to Hoffenheim, Galatasaray, and then most recently to Roma. What a journeyman. And he's still, what, only like 26-ish, I think? Yeah, 20, 26, 27. 27. So... Uh, a few more to add Quite to the list. Career. It'll be a great one for those like people that do the Wikipedia screenshots of their career path and you have to guess the player. Love that yeah. game. <laughs> All right, boys, I'm going to update the... I'm updating the leaderboards here. Um, I've come up with a new system, which I'm going to explain next week when I actually figure out if the maths is stupid or not, because knowing me, it's, it's totally wrong and I make a fool of myself. Um, but uh, Steve, I believe you've just been... Eclipsed. You had four points, and Joseph has just won four points. The only way I win is by consistently being here every week. I think because uh... <laughs> uh, yes, but my my new system accounts for that. Oh, so, so you're going to more... start dividing by yes. So now Joe's not going to come on another pod because he can keep his average <laughs> nice and steady for. Well, I'm going to say it's you need be, a certain. It's got to be some of... sort of marks for for consistent appearances. Surely, I've got I've got a taste for it now though. I've won once. I just want. I want. I want to go and get three points from a from a handbook history question. All right. Well, striving uh, constantly for better. You can spend the week uh, while you're running around the country after Leeds. You can take your handbooks with you. Do some notes. Sure, yeah, I will. Highlights. Got them all notes. on the laptop. So yeah. Find all the typos that I missed, um, and just have a great time. All right, boys, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, Pleasure as always. We'll be back next week. We will do our very best not to miss another week due to very severe man flu. Um, And, yeah, that's it. Joseph, say goodbye. Where are you off to next? Swansea tomorrow. Beautiful. Sunny Swansea. Stephen, say goodbye. He's off to Swansea and I'm off to bed. Good night, everyone. Good night or good morning. Goodbye.